So if you're new or visiting here, um, no Gunner did not get a little bit younger and start wearing flip-flops. <laughs> He's actually just taking a break, so just be praying for him as he takes a break. Uh, you guys get me for the next couple weeks. Um, I'm Pastor Garrett. I serve at Cross Connection Church um, just down in Escondido and um, love what I get to do um, for the kingdom of God there and I get to come and serve you guys and it's great spending time with you guys again. So um, good to be back with you guys. We're going to be picking up where Gunner left off in the book of Mark. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. You're going to need them today. Uh, we're going to be in Book of Mark, chapter 3, and we're going to be picking up in verse 31. So I'll give you guys a minute to turn there. Mark, chapter 3, verse 31. You know, I was texting Melanie earlier yesterday. I was like, hey, so if I wore shorts and sandals, would it be like blasphemy? It's like I didn't, I didn't want to push it too much. Um, the reason I'm wearing sandals today because, first of all, um, I have it on good authority that Jesus taught in sandals. Maybe not the same ones, but, um, but he taught in sandals. And second, we're actually doing our church baptism picnic right after um, this afternoon at like 1 o'clock at Felicita Park. So um, we're getting ready for that and gearing up for that down at Cross Connection today. Um, so if you guys would be praying for that too, um, we're really excited to see uh, all the new believers getting baptized um, at our church. So Definitely excited about that, and I'm praying for your baptisms coming up here really soon, too, so that's really exciting. So Mark chapter 3, um, verse 31 to 35, I'll read it for us, and then we will pray. It says, And his mother and his brothers came. Standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a large crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, brother, or my brother, sister, and mother. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. We're eager to hear from you, God. Father, I thank you that you are a father. Lord, you're a dad who loves the church, your family. Thank you, Lord, that you are you're the big brother Jesus who came to take away the sins of the world, to give us salvation, allowing us to experience adoption into the family of God. Lord, as we venture into your word this morning, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to receive. Lord, I, prepare, I ask that you'd prepare each one of us to take, to take what it is that you would have for us and receive it, Lord, that your spirit would teach us. So, Father, soften our hearts to be sensitive to your instruction, I pray. Would you bless the time of reading and teaching in your word? In Jesus' name, I pray, and the church said, amen. amen. I was actually really excited to be able to teach on this passage. Gunnar was kind of throwing it back and forth a little bit as he was getting his sermon prep done, as uh, you guys are currently in your series through the book and the gospel of Mark. Um, and I was kind of glad that he did end on verse 30, so I get to talk about the family. I love talking about family, and uh, there's going to be a lot of really great things this morning that we get to look at. And this is one of the greatest teaching moments in the book of Mark, I think, of Jesus uh, when he talks about family. Um, so first, we're going to address Jesus talking about family and what we can learn from Jesus' response. And then we're going to look at two different words that I want us to consider this morning. Identity is the first one, and activity is the second one. So we're going to talk about family, identity, and activity. And that is going to be our outline for this morning, if you will. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, if you guys are new or visiting this morning, um, earlier in Mark chapter 3, this is what's been going on. His, Jesus has developed a large following of people. He had started his ministry, he had been traveling around, and he had become essentially the modern-day Jewish celebrity, more popular than about anybody else out there. Um, so much so that people were leaving their jobs, they were leaving their families, they were um, leaving everything that they had to follow Jesus and see what would Jesus say today. 
these large crowds would gather, and it was crowds from every, every background. You had, you had the tax collectors, you had the thieves, you had the sinners, you had sick people that were coming to Jesus, you had the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, all coming to see what would Jesus say today. You even had Jews and Gentiles following Jesus, seeing what would he say. So he had developed quite a following. Now, it, in the, at this point in the story, it was actually quite normal for there to be large crowds gathered around Jesus as soon as they knew where he would be. So at, at this point, he's in his, uh, in his home her headquarters in Capernaum, in this little town of Capernaum, and it is just overrun with people. And they are there to hear Jesus. His followers were a diverse crowd, and while many loved Jesus, he wasn't afraid to offend anyone either. While many loved his teaching, some were offended by it. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, were quite offended by the teachings of Jesus, um, so much so that they started spreading this rumor and popular opinion, kind of, into the crowds, not right in front of Jesus usually, um, but this, this opinion that Jesus' power to heal people, Jesus' power to teach, his authority that he taught with, came from none other than the devil. That's a pretty big accusation that they're actually saying that the work of God is of the devil. And Gunnar taught that last week. I'm not going to dive into that too much. That's the background, though. So there's this rumor spreading that Jesus' works are of the devil. Jesus' family is starting to get involved. His friends, his, um, his immediate family, his mom, his brother, and his sisters, um, they're all there, and they have come now to Capernaum from Nazareth to get Jesus. Why? Because they think this madness has to stop, Jesus. You're, you're, just, you're stirring the pot, Jesus. You wore the shorts and the sandals. <laughs> That's too much, Jesus. We can't have that. Like, you, you can't keep having these crowds. You can't keep stirring the pot in, in our area. You're bringing shame upon our family name. Jesus' own little brother and little sisters, little brothers and little sisters, they didn't believe who he was. In fact, I mean, I think there's evidence to say that even Mary, at, at this point in the story, is confused on Jesus' identity. It's good for us to consider that. So there's, there's an identity crisis. Who is Jesus? And these, loud, these large crowds would press in around him. So much so that he would oftentimes not even have the time to get away to spend time eating, drinking, and sleeping. Just like the, the basic necessities of life because there would just be so many people crowded around him all the time. So much so that a lot of times he would have to get into a boat on a lake and they would have to push offshore a little bit so he could teach the large crowds on the shore. In this particular case, he's actually in, in the house um, that they call their headquarters, if you will, in Capernaum. It's most likely um, the mother-in-law of Peter. And this house is full of people, so much so it's packed to the brim. And there's people outside even that his own mother and brothers and sisters can't get in to talk to him. So it's a, it's a wild scene that we're entering into here. And what happens? They, they run into this crowd. And if they can't get in, what do they do? Well, this, this, wasn't a, this was a common issue. So some people, they got, they got clever, and if they had a sick person they were trying to bring to Jesus, they would go on the rooftop and they'd dig down. <laughs> Those were the smart ones, right? <laughs> Jesus' mother and brother, they, they tried to play the family card, and they went into the crowd and they said, hey, Jesus' mom is here. She wants to talk to Jesus. Can you spread the word? And I imagine it was one person to the next all the way up through the crowd. Jesus' mom is here. His brothers are here. His sisters are here. They would like to talk, to talk to him until it finally does get to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? And he says something I think that can be quite controversial today because, because it does sound controversial. It does sound like something that's not quite of the heart of Jesus. 
We're talking about Jesus here, right? And what does he say? So Jesus finally gets the word, hey, your mother and your brother and sisters are here. They would like to talk to you. Jesus knew what they were there for. They weren't there just to talk to him. They were there to grab him by force and take him back home, put him in a, in a, in a dark room and say, you need to chill. You need to calm down, Jesus. This, this, all this, this, you're the son of God story, this teaching with authority, this, uh, you know, making the religious leaders look like fools in front of everybody. You got to stop this. This isn't normal. Our family is no longer a normal family. Everybody knows us because of you. And we think you're kind of getting a little crazy, Jesus. This isn't normal. So that's where, that's where they're at. And Jesus responds to the crowds and those sitting about him where, where he's teaching inside this house. And what does he say? He says, looking around at those about him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother, or my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now that's an interesting answer. And it's, and it's good for us to note Jesus did have a normal family. Jesus did have a a very normal family. Jesus here is redefining what it means to be part of the family of God, though. He is identifying what it means to be part of the family of God. There are two different families that we're going to be part of in this life. We're going to be part of the natural family that we are born into, and then we're going to be part of the family that we are born again into. There's two different families, and one is a little more important, a lot more important. It's eternal. It's an eternal family that we are, we're going to, it's going to change our priorities. It's going to change our whole entire life. In fact, there was a lot of confusion about this whole idea of being born again into a new family. In fact, there was a religious leader. If you guys will turn over to John chapter 3 real quick with me. John chapter 3. It's just to the right in your Bibles. John chapter 3. I'll start in verse 1 here. Um, this is a story of Jesus and one of the religious leaders that kind of sneaks out at night to come see him. So I'll read it for you. John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at this thing that I say to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from, descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the, servant in, or the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, of course, John 3.16, the verse that we all have memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This, it's interesting that here in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, we have this, this parallel where we have the religious leaders at this time questioning Jesus' authority and even saying that it's coming from Satan. 
It's coming from demons. But then you have Nicodemus on the other hand. There's some of these religious leaders, obviously, that are following a little bit closer to Jesus' teaching and their hearts are a little softer and they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, I don't understand. One point I'd like to make this morning is it's good to ask questions. It is good to ask questions. Nicodemus did, and what did it lead to? It led to John 3, 16, where Jesus identifies exactly what he came to do. He came because he so loved, God so loved the world that he was sent. Why? That we might have life in his name. Amen? That's Jesus' identity. And we find that because Nicodemus was asking an important question. But you know, a lot of us, and this is just something for us to consider as, as we go through this, we didn't start following Jesus with motives or pure motives or agendas, right? Not all of us started following Jesus out of a pure motive or agenda. Why, why do I say that? Well, these large crowds were following him, and Jesus answers these crowds. He says, who is my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? He says, those of you who are right around me, this inner circle of people that have left everything to follow me, that are listening to my teaching, and they're doing the will of God. They're doing the will of God. A lot of the crowd, they were there because they were amazed. Let's just be honest. There's there's this man, Jesus. He's traveling around. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. It's a wild time. It's totally a wild time. He's healing the sick. Lame men are getting up and walking. Blind men are seeing. Mute men are talking. It's a wild time. I mean, these people were so enthralled with Jesus that they would actually not only talk about him in public places, but then in private, they would get around. The Bible tells us that they would murmur amongst themselves and they would talk about Jesus. Like, he was the talk of the town. He was the news of the day. There was nothing else that was more important than what did Jesus do this week? What did Jesus tell the religious leaders this week? Hey, did you hear Jesus walked on water this week? He was big news. And yet some people didn't follow him with pure intentions. And I say that because why? We had people that followed him. Why? Because they wanted to get healed. We had people that followed him because they wanted what Jesus could give them. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because they're following Jesus, right? And I just want us to remind remind us as the family of God that as the family of God, we want our family to grow and expand. Amen? That means we don't want to just keep, shut the doors and say, okay, our family is this family right here and we don't want anybody else to join our family. No, the family of God is the most diverse family in the universe. There is nothing more diverse than the family of God. The family of God accepts everybody from every background, no matter what sins they've committed, no matter what they've done in their past, the family of God will accept them. God accepts them. He loves them and he accepts them. That's some good news. But Jesus had this family, and families can be a little messy. I don't really probably need to expand too much on that, amen? <laughs> families can get a little messy. What happens when you get a bunch of saved sinners together? What happens? A lot of good things, but then there's going to be some messy things too. That's normal. Church, that's normal. Families can be messy. Why? Because in a family, you have both young and immature people, but then you also have older and mature people. You have the young and immature people that are going to do immature things. They're going to slip up. They're going to make mistakes. Then you have the older, mature people who have to correct them. Same as in our spiritual family, when we join the family of God, we're going to have people that are spiritually more mature than us, spiritual adults in our family, and we're going to have spiritual infants that are new believers. When new believers slip up, when they make mistakes, are we going to be the ones that come and restore them? Are you going to be the one that comes to restore them? Are we willing to be gracious with the new believers in our family? It's just a question I want to ask this morning. 
It's been put on my heart because I think that's something that we need, we need to be cautious of, how we, how we act around people that are seeking God, that are maybe outside of the family of God for now, but they're close. They're seeking him. That's what we want, amen? We want to be a church that's open to that. That's what Jesus has called us to. And yet we also want to be a family that loves one another. I'm going to end with that um, later on, so we'll come back to that point. Jesus' mother was Mary. Um, he definitely had quite a few brothers um, that we know of, at least four. Um, we had James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And then there were sisters, too. The way that the text is actually written, it, it basically confirms that there would be brothers and sisters, not just brothers, as some of your text might read. Um, so he had a family. He had little brothers and little sisters, um, like many of us. By this point in his ministry, his father, Joseph, had likely died. Um, his mom and his brothers um, didn't believe in him. They thought he was crazy. So Jesus is in an interesting predicament here. Like his own flesh and blood don't believe in him. He's got 12 disciples that are following around everywhere amongst other people that are, are devoted to following him. And yet his own mom, his own brothers are still struggling with his identity. His family was ashamed of him because Jesus was a very busy man. So there's a myth that I'd like to talk about this morning that there's this myth that Jesus was infinitely accessible to everyone at any time. That Jesus was always accessible by anyone for any length of time. There's this, like, this idea, I think, amongst a lot of Christians that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible is just this guy that you can come up to at any time and you can spend hours with him just individually, one-on-one, just talking with him. No. You don't see that in the Bible very often. It's very few times that you see these little snippets of Jesus recorded sitting with one person and talking with them for a little while. You have the woman at the well who then went and brought a lot of people to Jesus. You have Jesus and Nicodemus. There's these, these little small things, but most of the time he spent time with what? Who is disciples, right? He had a very small group of people that he really spent a lot of time with. So I think it's good for us to remember that, that as humans, we do have our limitations. You know, I, I got to be honest. A lot of times people say, like, as, as pastors, you have to be accessible at any time for any reason, um, for whatever and it's kind of like, okay, look, we do have our human limitations. Our heart is to serve people. We love people because Jesus loves you guys. But at the same time, we're not always infinitely accessible. Amen? <laughs> um, Jesus' response was not usual, but Mary's request was. In, in, that, in that cultural time period, if you will, the Jewish family would have been very close. In fact, the, the Jewish family system was even closer than it was in our, in our culture today, I would say. They, their, their family was much tighter-knit. Um, their family name meant a lot, um, that, that Jesus was part of that family. They were carpenters. That was their identity. That's who they were. And the fact that Jesus was out teaching now, all of a sudden he had brought a bad name upon his family. So that's kind of the culture there. So Jesus' response in, in front of everybody telling them, like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go talk to you, Mom. I'm too busy. And we might look at that and say, okay, Jesus, do you not respect your mom. That would be like me teaching in here, it being crowded so much so that my own parents couldn't get in, and then one of you comes up and gives me word, hey, your parents are here, they want to talk to you. And I just say, I'm sorry, I'm busy, they're not on the calendar. How would that make you guys feel? <laughs> well, you're not going to give your mom a hug on Sunday? Doesn't she at least deserve a hug? She gave birth to you. Come on, Jesus. So who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my brother, and my sister. So this isn't necessarily him being rude or disrespecting his mom. Is there is an identity crisis going on here. 
There's an identity crisis going on here. Jesus loved his mom, and I can give you guys a great example of that in John chapter 19. Jesus is up on the cross, dying on, on the cross in the most pain he's ever been in his life. And what does he do? He looks down, and he sees his disciple who he loved, John. And he sees his mom, Mary. And what does he tell his disciple John? John, take my mother as your mother. Take care of her, John. Okay, let me just put that in perspective for you guys. Imagine the most painful moment of your life, and then you all of a sudden can look down from that and then care about somebody else so much as Jesus did. Care about his own mom that much. That's what Jesus did, though. Jesus isn't sinning by refusing to see his mom and brothers. Jesus is busy doing what he's been sent to do. Though his family doubted, Jesus knew his identity fully well. It was God. He knows his activity is preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, atoning for the sins of the world. It kind of keeps him a little bit busy sometimes. Which is a slightly more important task sometimes than talking to his mom and his siblings who thought he was going crazy. But I have to give some defense for Mary and Jesus' siblings. Okay, if your bigger brother started going around saying, hi, I'm the son of God, the savior, the Messiah, I've come over here to take away the sins of the world, and you'd be like, okay, bro, you're crazy, right? <laughs> I'm walking on water some weeks, I'm you know, rebuking the Pharisees other weeks, you'd be like, yeah, my brother's crazy. I don't know what got into him, but he's gone crazy. So I can understand that. In fact, what I, what I love about this is Jesus' own family didn't believe in him until after his resurrection. Isn't that interesting? His own brothers and sisters, those closest to him, who he grew up with. He spent 30 years of his life with them. They didn't actually believe in him as the son of God until when? After he rose again. After he rose again, all of a sudden it, was, it became real to them. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important moment in our faith. Why? Because Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And they believed in him. Yeah, the book of Acts actually tells us that, that after Jesus ascended into heaven, what did all the disciples and the followers of Jesus do? They all got together, including, the text actually says, including Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters. One of the greatest evidences that this book is actually real, this, this gospel is legit, is that Jesus got his own brothers and sisters to believe in him as God. Is that, is that soaking a little bit? Jesus actually got his own brothers and sisters to believe in him as God. It's hard enough just to get your own brothers and sisters to like you, amen? <laughs> and yet they actually believed in him. And two of them, you have James and... Um, you have two, two of his brothers that wrote books of the Bible proclaiming Jesus' identity as God. That's a powerful testimony. We see, they were confused on his identity. And a lot of people today are confused on Jesus' identity. But what's the point, the takeaway point I want to give us today? Our identity drives our activity. That's our takeaway right now. Our identity drives our activity. Jesus always works from, acti- or from identity to activity. What do I mean by that? In the secular world, we would say activity defines your identity, right? What's the, one of the first things, like when I meet any, any men... Typically, my, the first sentence of the conversation is, hey, I'm Garrett, and then they say, hey, I'm John. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Amen? Is that not one of the first things that always comes up in our conversation with just about anybody that you meet? What do you do? You see, we live in, in, a, in a culture where what we do defines us. 
I'm a firefighter, I'm a teacher, I'm a police officer, I'm an accountant, I'm a student. What we do defines us. Jesus works opposite to that. Religion religion's the same way. See, as our, as our secular world puts it, really. Religion says, you do this so you can get salvation. You pray three times a day. You go to Mecca. You do this. You give. And then your identity is secure. And there's a lot of false Christian teaching churches. We call that prosperity gospel. You just give. God's going to give you so much more. That's false doctrine. That's where activity establishes or creates your identity. That is not the way that Jesus works. See, in our family, our identity drives our activity. The secular world wants to define us by our appearance, by our job, by our performance, by our status. Jesus says, what's your identity? Who's your identity in? Christianity is completely opposite to any of that. Through the grace of God, through the work of Jesus, the love of the Father, we receive an identity because we understand that our identity, our identity and our desires, our, or I should say, our identity drives our desires. Our identity changes our desires. So when we become part of the family of God, we become a children of God, we start listening to our big brother Jesus, what he said, what he wrote. And all of a sudden, we realize that we, in, in this family, we're accepted. In this family, we're loved. You see, isn't that what all the world wants anyways? Don't we all just want to be part of, and I'm sure your friends and family members, especially who don't believe yet, they all want to be part of some group that loves them, that accepts them for who they are, that loves their identity. That's why we usually, what, we get into groups based on what we do, our activity. See, here in the church, we all do different things. That's why I say we're one of the most diverse groups of people in the world. We're the most diverse family in the world. Why? Because we have people from all different backgrounds. Why? Because our identity drives why we put, get together. Our identity in the family, not our activity. And because we are, understand our identity, our desires for activity will springboard off that. How we live, what we do, will change. Because our identity has changed. God makes us new so we can do something. We can be ambassadors for him in our relationships with our friends, our family, our coworkers, our roommates, and all those that God has put in our lives. God works like this. So I would say he, he does something miraculous in you, makes you part of his family. How do you become part of his family? Well, you listen to the word of God. In fact, the Gospel of Luke, when you're reading Luke, oh, am I still on? There we go. When you're reading the Gospel of Luke, there's the same story comes up, and Jesus actually has expanded on a little bit of what he says in his response. He says, those who listen to the word of God and do it, those are my brothers and my, my mother, my brothers and my sisters. They're my family. He adds listening to it. And I think that's interesting because... When we, there, there has to be something miraculous going on to get us to listen, amen? And I say that because there's, I know for a fact that there's no degree in any secular college, any college at all that I've actually heard in listening, right? There's degrees in speech and communication. There's classes in those things. What do we do all day long on Twitter, on Instagram? We, we communicate, we talk. That's all it is, it's talking. 
We love to text. We love to call people. We love to talk. We love to communicate. We're taught how to communicate, but a lot of times we're not taught how to listen. Amen. I think that's one of the hardest the hardest things for us as part of the family of God is that we really need to work on listening to God. We need to work on listening to each other. One of the most beneficial classes I've taken in seminary so far was a counseling class where they taught you how to listen to other people. And I thought, man, what a concept. Listening to other people. We have to listen to God, but there's something different than listening and hearing, right? Hearing means that you heard it, but listening means you understood it. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they heard Jesus teach, but they weren't listening. A lot of people that follow Jesus today, they hear the word of God taught, but they're not listening. It doesn't soak into their heart. They don't take the word of God. They don't say, okay, hey, I'm going to come to church on a Sunday with my family. I'm going to spend some time sitting and praying, and then I'm going to listen to whatever, whoever pastor, whatever pastor is going to be there to teach the word of God, and I'm going to trust that God's given him something for me. I don't want to overstep too much, but he's given me something for me to take home, amen, that I can think about, I can meditate on, I can pray about, and I can change my life a little bit. That I can get a little bit more in tune, a little more aligned with the will of God. We need to learn how to listen. Now, while we are born again into our physical families, as Jesus was, we are born again into another through the work of Jesus. When we are part of the family of God, our priorities shift. The things that we do, we have new spiritual priorities, and, and they don't always sit well with our non-believing families. So I do want to address this. Some of you have non-believing families, amen? We're praying for them. But there's some challenges that come when we are believers in a non-believing family. Because our priorities have now shifted. We now naturally have a desire to spend more time with people that desire righteous living, right? That desire the righteousness of God. And we develop a greater allegiance to our Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Family than we do the earthly ones. Yes, our earthly ones are still important. They're very important. In fact, the first commandment in the Bible of God to men was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Start families. Fill the earth and subdue it. God loves families. In fact, I would even say families are the building block of our society. As soon as the family structure that God has put in place falls apart, everything else will fall apart around it. Studies have shown that. Family is incredibly important, but so is the family of God. Our heavenly family is so important, and with this new family comes new rules, new chores, new desires. Who are you serving Who are you praying for? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you loving? Who are you forgiving? It's part of the family of God. See, because we're still sinners in the family of God, there's going to be people in the family of God that might hurt you. How do we reconcile those relationships? Well, the Bible gives us a great outline for that. We need to study that. We need to study how how to reconcile those relationships, how to forgive others. Why? Because God says that how we love each other will set set us apart from the rest of the world. We'll set our family apart from the rest of the world. We want that, right? So how do we treat our non-believing family? Because we treat our new family like this. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's how we treat our family, amen? 
That's how we treat our family. When we, get, when, we, when we come into this family, that's how we treat them. If there's somebody new that comes into our family, that's how we treat them. See, there's something different, though, about going to a restaurant and having a family dinner, right? When you're going to a restaurant, you expect to be served. When you're having a family dinner, you expect to serve. You expect to do something. You have a job. In the family of God, we have jobs. And part of that is how do we deal with our non-believing family? We have to, we have to look at that. How do, how do you deal with non-believing family? Well, first, I would say we need to face them. We need to face, face the fact that they don't believe. Unbelievers won't be able to understand the transformation that's happened in your life. Why? Because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. They won't be able to understand it. We need to pray for them. But you need to face that fact that they won't be able to understand it, but God is going to do a work. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. Amen? Another thing we need to do is accept it. Don't try to force your perspective and your opinions and the gospel onto them. Jesus never does that. In fact, next week we're going to be studying a parable of four soils. And what's interesting is Jesus gives 70% of a story, and then he gives the other 30% for people to mull over and think about on their own, to come to a conclusion on their own. Amen? Jesus doesn't just give answers out on a silver platter to us that we can just take, and take that for ourselves and understand it completely. We have to think about it. Jesus loves to do that when he teaches. He loves to not just give them everything right there, to, to hold something back. So that way people can think about it. People can meditate on his word. So accept it. Don't try to force your perspective and your belief on them. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of transforming their lives. You cannot transform their lives. You know, I think about the story of the prodigal son story is a great example of this. What did the father do in that scenario? He waited for his son to come home. He spent time praying for him. And when he did come home, he celebrated I think something that the church needs to get better at doing is celebrating when prodigals return. There's a, there's a celebration going on in heaven when anybody gives their life to Jesus. Whenever anybody's sins are forgiven, there's a celebration going on in heaven, and there should be a celebration here. We should be excited about that. You know, it's interesting, though. Sometimes we can, as a church, be um, unwelcoming with, unintentionally, I would say. There's a story, uh, one of our pastors gets his hair cut, like, oh, I think it's an Escondido. And she was sharing the story that her friend had take, brought her to a little home fellowship group from their church. And she was like, okay, I haven't gone to church in, in years, but I'm going to try this out. I, I like to reconnect with God. And this is a good first step because it's not going to a church, but it's going to a home and eating. And, you know, they're hanging out and she's getting real hungry. So she goes and she starts serving herself a plate and eating. And one of the other gals in the room says, hey, we haven't prayed yet in front of everybody. And this gal is sharing with one of our pastors. She's like, you know, it, it's not that I, I blame them necessarily, but she's like, I was so embarrassed that I'm never going to go back. You know, when, when people are coming back to God, we need to be gracious with them. Now, while it's great to pray before we eat, it's more important that we have a lost soul that's interested in seeking God. The other thing we can do for our non-believing families is adjust to it, meaning this. We don't barrage them with spiritual emails or text messages. We give them some space to let the Holy Spirit do his work, not being too pushy. Being ready to share your faith at all times because you never know when God's going to have their hearts softened and ripened up just enough to where they're going to say, okay, God, I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to hear. And then they're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, I know you've been going to church every week. Can I come with you? Can you explain to me this? And you don't have to have an answer for everything. That's the good news. Amen? 
You don't have to have an answer for everything. Why? Because you're a child of God. God's forgiven you from something. Remember your story. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so I've been driving this 1976 Ford F-150 for a little while now. It's my new daily driver. It's a 44-year-old truck and 17 years older than me. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and a lot of, when I drove up, I had a lot of you guys saying, oh, that's a really cool truck. It's that bright blue one out there in the parking lot. And it's like, oh, that's really nice that you think about that, but you don't know what it came from. <laughs> you don't know its story. You don't know that I had to change out all kinds of parts in the engine. We had to throw in a new brake master cylinder. We had to throw in a new power steering pump. We had to throw in a new power steering box. We had to change the radiator out. I had to sand off a whole bunch of paint that was on it. A lot of work went into that. And I say, you don't know how far it's come. And you know, God has really been speaking to me as I've been doing all this work on this truck because it's now my daily driver and is kind of out of my own obedience. That's another story I'll share with you guys maybe next week um, in selling my other truck for this one. And God basically blessed me with this truck. It was basically free and got to just put it together back back together myself. Um, But I say this because we don't know I don't know where all you guys have come from, but you do. You know, I know with that truck, I spent hours and long nights with blood, sweat, and tears to get that thing to run. I know where it's come from, but I don't know all the work that God's done and the long nights he spent with you, wrestling with you, changing your heart, changing your desires into his desires. Amen? That one, at one point, we came from a background where we were lost in our sins, lost in our trespasses, that we came and we weren't so good looking. We came out of, a, you know, the, of darkness. And with that darkness came all sorts of things that we didn't want addressed, all sorts of sin issues in your life, all sorts of things that God has had to transform over the years. I want you guys to remember what happened. What did God do in your life? What has God freed you from? What chains has he broken in your life from sin? What's your testimony? What's your story? Because where you are today is not, where you, is not what you looked like when you started this journey, amen? And that is something nobody can take away from us. That's our testimony. That's one thing God wants us to be ready to share at all times, to remember where we've come from, to remember the long nights that we've spent wrestling with God, crying out, God, help me. The long nights we've been wrestling with God, saying, God, I, I, I'm struggling with my identity as your child. And that's one of the things the devil wants to take away from us is our identity as a child, amen? You know, it's interesting. I remember my sister-in-law sharing a story that, you know, she gets kind of weird dreams at night. And I think there's a spiritual aspect to it because she's a worship leader as well. And pastors get similar things. Some of you might even as well. Um, where she just get really weird spiritual dreams that are dark, and she would just have to wake up and say, I'm a child of God. She just had to proclaim that over herself a little bit. We need to say it. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of God. My identity is in him. Amen? I think sometimes we just we fear saying that for some reason. Why do you fear saying that? Your identity is in Christ. Your identity drives your activity. Your identity means that God has accepted you for who you are. He loves you. In no other family you're going to get the kind of acceptance and love that you're going to get in this family. So where have you come from? And how do we know if we are doing the will of God? Some of you might be here this morning and you're thinking, okay, so 
I have to hear the word of God, I've heard it, and I have to do it. What does that look like, Garrett? How do I know what the will of God is? Well, there's a couple passages I want to direct us to this morning as we wrap up. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. If you guys have pens and paper, I'd encourage you to write this down and, and look at this this week. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says this, and I believe it's on the screen behind me. Yep. Um, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And that's just a snippet of it. You can read the rest of 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, the will of God is your sanctification, church. See, in no other family is the, is the goal to come into this family as, as an infant, as a spiritual baby, and then mature in this family, meaning what? That's a, the maturing is our sanctification. What does it mean to mature in the family of God? It means this, that as much as we understand of the word of God, we are obedient to it, amen? So that means spiritual infants, those who just accept the word of God, just accept him as their savior, you're only accountable for what you know in the scriptures. You are accountable for what you know. If you know not to do something, if you know not to lie, to steal, to curse, you don't do that. Those of us who are more mature, we have a greater understanding of the scriptures. And a lot of you guys are more mature. You've been part of the family of God for a long time. You've had the word of God in your hands for a long time. You've been studying it for a long time. So what are you obedient to? We're accountable to that. We are responsible to be obedient to the word of God, to hear it, and then what? To do it. Nike stole that, but we need to do it. Just do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 17, through 17 says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love these texts in the Bible where it says, this is the will of God for you. It's just like, that's gold right there. You need to take that home with you. This is the will of Christ Jesus for you. This week, there's a whole lot in there. This, that means this, this is part of the family of God, respecting those who labor among you. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Admonish the idle, encourage faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. There's a list. You know, in fact, I was, I was researching this, and um, Pastor Miles, our pastor down in, in Escondido, he, he made this whole list. There's, a, over, a thousand, there's a, over a thousand commands in the New Testament for us to do, imperative commands in the New Testament. And we might think like, okay, we're not tied to the law necessarily. We're not legalistic here. But there's over a thousand imperative commands in the New Testament for us to follow. That's a lot. What are those commands there for? They're to keep us close to Jesus. They're to keep us on the straight and narrow. They're to keep us aligned with the will of God. And some of us have a hard time with that. That's okay. That's why we're part of the family. Amen? That's why we're part of a family that can encourage us, that can build us up, that can be patient with us, that can not repay us evil for evil, but repay us good for, like, just to be there for us, to love us. It's so important. And finally, I uh, didn't have this one in your notes, so Micah 6, verse 8. This is one many of you probably know. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does God require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
What does the Lord require of you? In other translations, they'll say, what is the will of God for you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? Micah 6.8. That's a verse that I've, I've had written in my heart for a long time. And every time I, I try to make a decision, I think, okay, am I following the will of God? Am I going to do justly? Am I going to love mercy? And I'm going to walk humbly with God in this. So if it doesn't work out that way, then I'm not going to do it. What is the will of God for you and are you doing it? See, brothers and sisters, we're part of this family for a reason. It's not just so God transformed us and then stopped in our hearts. It's not that just that, that you know how far you've come. God's brought you this far. He started this transformation work in you so that way it can continue through you. Who around you needs to be transformed by Jesus? Do you have a list? Are you praying for them? Are you spending time with them? Are you loving them? Are you serving them? God's put us right here, right now for a reason. He's put people around you right now for a reason. There's no mistake in who you, who you know. God has better equipped you than anybody else to reach those around you. And I want to end with this. Uh, if, if there is anybody here, there's two, two different things as I, I'll invite the worship team up as we're going to close here. There's two different exhortations I want to, I want to, I want to give us. With. The first is going to be for those that are in the family of God. Just a little family tidiness. If you have struggled with your identity in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to reaffirm that identity in Christ. And if you have not, if you haven't yet become part of the family of God, and you're hearing this and you're thinking, I would like to be part of this family, this family that's going to lift us up. It's not a perfect family, but it's a great family because God loves us and he accepts us. When he brings us into his family, we have eternal life in him. It's what Christ came and died for. So that you could be free from your sins and your suffering that we can have eternal life with him. That's good news. So there's those of us here who might not have accepted him yet. So I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray. I'll have the worship team come forward. Lord, this this morning I do believe that there are those here who have struggled with their identity in you, Lord. They've gotten too busy doing doing things that identify them as something else, Lord, not a child of God. So, Father, I do pray, if there, if there are any of you here that would like to reaffirm your identity as a child of God and repent of anything else that has, has come before God in your lives, I just want to give you guys an opportunity to raise your hand with your, our heads out, heads bowed, our eyes closed. Nobody, nobody's going to see except me. I'd like to be praying for you guys. You want your identity to be reaffirmed in the family of God. That's a good thing. I want to pray for you guys. Lord, I do pray for my family. Lord, I thank you for my family. It's not a perfect family, but it's a family that you created, God. It's a family that you've brought us all apart, or brought us all into, God, from all different backgrounds. You've saved us from all different sins, all different struggles in life, Lord all different pains and sufferings and trials, Lord, that you've, you've brought us through. Lord, I pray for those, those brothers and sisters that, Lord, they felt maybe far from you. They felt like their identity isn't been in you, Lord. They feel like you've been far away from them. Maybe they've done something that they're ashamed of, God. Lord, I, I affirm that you forgive us. Lord, that our forgiveness is found only in you. And we can live in freedom, Lord, as your children, knowing that our eternal salvation is secure without question, God. 
I pray that you would encourage them this morning, Lord. Would you remind them of their position as, as a child, Lord? That you are their father, you're their heavenly father. You want good things for them, God. And you want to spend the rest of eternity with them. And then if there are any of you in here who have not yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as this, hearing the word of God and believing it, believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, believing in Jesus as Lord and doing what he says. If you would like to start that journey today, I do invite you guys to raise your hands. And I would like to pray for you as well. All right, let's pray. In the quietness of your heart, you guys can pray this as well. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. Lord, I know that I need you. I believe that you came and you died for my sins and my place, that I could have new life in you, that I could have new freedom in you. Lord, I believe in Jesus as my, as my Lord, and I pray that you would help me to follow him all of my days, all the way to heaven, until I see him face to face. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Let's worship.